I'd like to invite you now to open your Bibles with me to the Epistle of Jude, that small letter toward the end of the text of Scripture, uh, the Epistle of Jude. We'll be reading uh, the entire book uh, this evening, but focusing on the first two verses as we begin a series in this epistle. remind you that this is God's holy word given to you, spoken to you, that you might be conformed to the image of God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's be attentive to his word, that we might hear, and that we may receive his word with gladness and with joy, and pay close attention as that psalm just reminds us, to hear his word this evening. Jude, verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord. Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses... He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters. Showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, 
In the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. And amen. This is God's word. Let's give him thanks. Our great and glorious God, we rejoice in your word. We thank you that you have preserved for us these words written by your servant, Jude, by the power of the Holy Spirit, who inspired him to pen these words for our upbuilding and our strengthening and our warning even to hear from your word that we are to be on watch. We are to contend for the faith. Lord, may we be mindful as we hear your word this evening to pay close attention to what you have to say to us tonight. So Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for your provision. And may we be attentive even now as your word is preached, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James sits down with the eager anticipation, maybe, first of all, he was wanting to write to this congregation that he knows in some way, shape, or form. He has familiarity with these people who he's writing to. He intended to write to them about their common salvation, but he found it necessary. He was compelled by the Holy Spirit to write an appeal to them. An appeal to them, what he says in Verse 3, he says that they would contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Under this deep burden and this necessity, Jude takes up his pen to write to a church that he loves, desiring to write to encourage them. Now he has to write to warn them and also encourage them. Because as you've just heard, Jude is often a neglected book. It's one that's easily passed over because if you're flipping real quick, you'll just pass right over it. It's like driving through my hometown in Columbus, Kansas. If you blink, you'll miss it. Um, you got to pay attention. Jude's really small, really short. But it's one of those books that has often been neglected in scriptural studies and even in preaching sometimes. Because oftentimes it's just viewed as a long list of denunciations. Just calling out the bad guys. But if you were paying attention as the book was read, you hear that Jude begins with a loving appeal and an encouragement to a beloved congregation whom Jude is concerned for. And in verse 17, he begins to show them an encouraging way to navigate the trouble that they're in. It's not just a list of denunciations. It's a necessary appeal to the people of God, to be the people of God, when they're in duress, and when they find that there are those who seek to overthrow them, even in their midst. This is an encouraging letter. 
given to the people of God to build them up in what Jude says in their most holy faith, to remind them about who they are so that they can mark out those, those people, Jude says, these people, the ungodly ones, the worldly people. He tells them, remember who you are so when you see these people in your midst, you won't forget that God has called you God has placed you in this time. And even though you're in distress and there are those in your midst that would want to overthrow you, you are kept for Jesus Christ. So, who are these people that Jude is writing to? Who are you, church? Because we have to understand who we are and put our confidence in the one who's called us to himself as we learn to discern who the ungodly and the worldly people are even in our midst. We have to know who we are. And before Jude tells them who they are, he starts by reminding them of who he is. And there it is right there in verse 1. Jude, he gives us his name, and it's a name that was also referred to in the Gospels as Judas. But here in the Greek, it's in Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. He gives us his name. He gives us his office or his title. And then he shows us his relationship to that brother of his, his brother named James. Who is James, you might ask? Well, James, there's the apostle James that they, you could maybe tie him to, but that's not likely because he had already passed away. And there is another James, the James, the brother of Jesus, who was the great leader in the Jerusalem church, who had great authority, who had been raised up as a leader in the Jerusalem church. And Jude says that he's his brother, and we know from Matthew, and we also know from Mark, Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, you see that Jesus has brothers, one named James and one named Judas or Jude. You also see in Mark chapter 6, verse 2, the same names, James, a brother of Jesus, and his other brother, Judah, or Judas who is known as Jude. Jude says, I am the brother of James. Note he doesn't just pull the big card out and say, you know, the, the half-brother of Jesus. Why? Well, we also learn from the Gospels that before Jesus' resurrection, James and Jude both perceived Jesus to be out of his mind. They would not appeal to him as he is revealing himself to the world as God's anointed king, Messiah, the one who is to come. His own family did not recognize him. They did not honor him. You can read about that in Mark as well. In Mark chapter 3, 21, you see that they came to take Jesus away because they said he's out of his mind. And they stood outside of the crowds when Jesus was teaching, and all the crowds were with him. It says that Jesus' mother and his brothers and his sisters always stood on the outside. What does that tell you? Keep your distance. Don't be associated with him right now. Send someone to go get him to bring him out to us because we don't want to be identified with him. So Jude says, I'm the brother of James. Why? Because he has the humility and the responsibility to say, 
Yes, in the flesh, I'm his half-brother. But by main identity to my elder brother, Jesus, who you know as the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, who we so wonderfully heard about this morning, that Jesus, I'm his bondservant. I'm his slave. I am a servant of Jesus, the king. And I'm a brother of James. There's a humility here. But there's also an understanding that it's not my fleshly relationship to Jesus that's so important. It's the fact that I've been called by him to serve him and his kingdom. That's who I am, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James. Now we know who Jude is. He says, now to those, to those, who are those whom he is writing to? Who is this church that he's writing to? He identifies them as those who are first called by God. To those who are called by God, called out of darkness into light, called out of the kingdom of death into the kingdom of God and the kingdom of life, called out of sin into salvation, called out of selfishness into a life of holiness, those who are called out of the world to God to serve God in the world as his holy people, to those who have been called by God, yes, outwardly in the gospel, inwardly by the Holy Spirit, transformed in heart, but transformed for a purpose to be God's holy people in the world. Who's he writing to? Those who are called. It's important for us to stop there and just say, who am I? Have I come to the Lord Jesus Christ? Have I heard the call, the gospel? Have I responded in faith, responding to the internal, the effectual calling of the Holy Spirit on my heart? Is that true of me? Have I heard the beautiful gospel? Have I heard the heralding of the good news of what God has done for sinners? Have I been reconciled to God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I called? If it is true of you, this letter is for you. Jude is writing to those who are called, remember, those who are called out of the world to God to serve God as his holy people in the world. He's going to show us as we go through the book, there's a difference between those who are in the church and and in the world. There are some even in the church who are still worldly people, not yet called out from the world. In the church. But what he wants you to... No, right now, he's writing to you who are called, who have come out of the world to God, to serve God as his holy people in the world. So it's important for us to know who we are. Who are you? Have you come to the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you responded to the call of the gospel? Jude's writing to you. To those who are called is first, but then he says, if you've been called by God, you're not only called, but You're beloved in God. Loved by God as his precious chosen possession. One whom God has set his affections on and brought to himself out of his love, not out of anything that you deserved. You didn't do anything to earn this. No, this is God's love toward you. You are a people who are loved by God. Think of it, the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, Father God has set his affection 
affections on you. That he treasures you. That he delights in you. And it's not just merely a love. It's a love that God would sacrifice on your behalf. Has he not done that for us in Christ Jesus? Has he not given of himself so that we could be reconciled to him? That's what it means to be loved by God. Those whom God sets his affections on and would sacrifice in order to bring them back. The beloved of God. That's who Jude is writing to. How about you? Do you know who you are? Church, if you've been called to God, you've been brought near to him, you've been brought into his people, you are the beloved of God. And consider his love toward you. Consider how great his love is toward you. That God has set his affections on you. That's who Jude is writing to. Those who are called, those who are loved in God the Father, but also kept by God the Father for Jesus Christ. God has called you to himself. He set his affections on you, and now he is protecting you. Now he is keeping you. Now he has set his power around you to keep you for his Son, to preserve you, to keep you, to hold you, so that nothing can take you away from him because you are kept for his son, Jesus Christ the King. Called to him. Loved by him. Kept for Jesus Christ. This is who Jude is writing to. Brothers and sisters, do you know who you are? If you have heard the gospel and responded, this is who you are. You have been called out of the world to be God's beloved treasure whom he is keeping in order to give to his son. How precious are you? How gracious God is toward you. How blessed you truly are to be those who are called, loved, and kept. Do you know who you are? Because I just want to reiterate, as we work through the book of Jude, it is important to keep clear in your mind who we are as God's people. Because we run the risk of people coming into the church to draw us away from the one who's called us, who loves us, and who keeps us. To draw us toward just after themselves and their own teaching, their own way to live. People who would seek to woo you away from the one who loves you. People who would seek to distract you with the trinkets of the world rather than being delighted in the treasure that is in heaven kept for you. This isn't people out there. Jude's saying, no, they've crept in here. Whoa. He even calls them shepherds. People who take authority into their own hands. 
people who gain a hearing, people who would downplay the law and upplay the flesh, people who would lead you away from your confidence in Christ, people who would lead you away from the truth that's been proclaimed to you about who you are. You are those who have been called, loved by God and the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. If you know who you are, then you can pay close attention to what Jude says next in his greeting. And it's no mere salutation. It's no mere just, uh, i got to open my letter with something. Let's start with mercy, peace, and love. That's good. Yeah, that sounds real nice. That's what other writers do. No. This is no mere salutation. Because if you know who you are, Jude, by the power of the Holy Spirit, knows what you need if you are under the threat of those who would lead you away. What is it that you need? He says, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. May mercy, peace, and love be poured out on you exponentially, without measure. May you flow, overflow, filled you up to the brim and overflowing with mercy, peace, and love. He knows who you are as God's called out ones, those who are beloved and those who are kept, so he also knows what you need in your time of trial. You need the mercy of God. You need the peace of God. You need the love of God. How much of it do you need? Well, I often say, like, when, especially when I'm talking to people about parenting, you know, six kids in our house, and they're like, how do you do it? And I say, by grace. I know what I need. You know what you need. We say, like, we burn through grace at our house like jets burn through fuel on takeoff. How about you? Do you know what you need? We don't need just a little bit of mercy. We don't need just a little bit of peace. We don't need just a little bit of love. No, we need it in excessive amounts. We need it to be multiplied to us. Not just a little bit here, a little bit there, but just an overflowing measure of it. So Jude says, you know, I know who you are. Here's what you need. And he prays and asks God, may mercy be multiplied to you. Now, it's interesting that he uses the word mercy because the only other time that we see mercy used in the salutation are in 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 2, 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 2, and 2 John, verse 3. And here in Jude, verse 2. Why mercy? Mercy is always asked for in the salutation in the context of false teaching. It only happens four times. In all four letters, it's in the context of false teachers or false leaders. You need the mercy of God to keep you. You need the mercy of God to keep you from being distracted by those who would lead you away. Those with winning words, they might say, Socrates called them sophists, those who just try to win you through their words. They appeal to your gut. They appeal to your flesh. 
If they're really good, they'll appeal to your reason. And that's all that they got. But rarely ever do they appeal to the authoritative word of God. God has said, therefore, this. You need mercy to keep you from those who would lead you away by false teaching. But mercy is not just what you were given at regeneration. It's not just what's going to keep you through the judgment. If I burn through grace like a jet burns through fuel on takeoff, living in this world, how much more do we need mercy to keep us from temptation? How much more do we need mercy to keep us in the time of trial? How much more do we need the mercy of God? May it be multiplied to you, Jude says. Because he knows who we are, but he also knows our need. You have great need of mercy. And he asked for it. But he also asked that you would know the peace of God in your life. Having been reconciled to God, when you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ and you knew that you were forgiven of your sins and you didn't look at God any longer, God the Father, as a judge, but you were able to now look to him as a father, doesn't that bring peace to your life? into your heart? Doesn't that bring a shalom, a wholeness, a rest? We need that peace even now. And so Jude asked that it would be multiplied to you. That settled heart at rest in God's word. Knowing who God is and what he said, even in the midst of trial and temptation, even when you sit down at a table and you look across of it and, oh, wow, there's my enemy, you can still have peace. That's what Jude is asking for, to be multiplied to you. The peace of God in your everyday life. How much we need the peace of God. But the last thing he says is, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Those who've experienced the love of God cannot help but be conduits, agents of the love of God. Having received God's love, we become those who give God's love away. Having come to know the grace of God, we seek to be gracious to others. Having received the mercy of God, we seek to be merciful to others. And in this, the context of this book, Jude knows that they need the love of God in extravagant amounts because only the love of God will keep them in the situations they find themselves in. So keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Stay plugged into the source. Come to the fountain and drink. May the love of God fuel your life in such a way that you receive it, but also you're able to give it because you'll need to show mercy. You'll need to be merciful to those who doubt. You also have to stand up against those who oppose you. And what more, than you, what more do you need than the love of God? I found it important to read through the entire book of Jude for you this evening. And I hope that wasn't any kind of labor for you or for me. But that we heard it and we received it. Because as you heard the word tonight, one of the things that makes the love of God so needful for me as I hear the book of Jude. I think it might be needful for you as well as this. 
Jude says that they're going to come into your midst. They're already in your midst. They've crept in. But he never says, go hunt them down and take them out. He says they're there. Okay, what do we do with them? He says, you go to those who are doubting and you encourage them. You go to those who are in danger and you rescue them. And you hate the garment stained by sin. Not that. You hunt them down and you take them out. I need the love of God to do that. You need the love of God to do that. And how much of it do we need? A great amount. A way that it would be multiplied to us so that we would not lack. So who are you? What do you need tonight? Well, if we are those who are being called by God and loved by God and are kept by God for Jesus Christ then we need mercy, peace, and love to be multiplied to us. I pray that you and I would recognize what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. That we have responded to the call to come out of the world and come to God, a Father who sets his affection on those whom he loves. And that he keeps protected, guarded, shielded, from those who would lead them astray. I pray you know who you are and that you would receive what God freely gives to those who ask. Because if you look at it, you could think of it in Trinitarian terms, may mercy, the mercy of God the Father and the peace of the Holy Spirit and the love of God in Christ Jesus be multiplied to you. What does God give when people ask in Jesus' name? He always gives more of himself. He always pours out more of who he is. And who is God? The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, who forgives sins and iniquities, who brings peace where there's war. May you receive what you need this evening, knowing that you, if you're in Christ, well, you know who you are, those who are called, beloved by God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May God do what he's promised to do. May he give you mercy, peace, and love. And may he give it to you in an extravagant amount. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. We thank you that in Christ we have been reconciled to you. Lord, we also know that being reconciled to you, we have been called out of the world to serve you, to be your holy people in the world. But we also know that we have an enemy who schemes on the outside, but also on the inside, to draw us away from our King. Lord, would you help us to understand the words that you've given to us tonight, that we would really know who we are as your called out ones, 
who are loved by you and are kept for Jesus. Lord, knowing who we are, we also know our great need. Would you meet our need according to your word and according to your promise? And we know that all your promises are yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, we ask that you would keep us, you would build us up, and you would strengthen us, even in the day of trial, when we're opposed by those on the outside or maybe even opposed by those who are on the inside. Lord, may we remember who we are. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.